Well, good morning. I must tell you I'm uh, extremely excited to minister this word today. Um, I believe we are making steps in the direction to where we can stand in the gospel and never be moved. I am telling you, not just from the language that Tim is speaking up here, but for many of you that I get to relate with and talk to, I'm realizing you guys are receiving all that God has for you, realizing that you don't have to do anything to earn it. And once you receive it, this is huge in the kingdom of God, and I'm preaching a message before a message, which is never a good idea, but you become by receiving. Now think about this, is that when you receive God's love, you become a person of love. So you're not trying to love. I'm not trying to tell you, go love people. No, I want you to receive his love because when you receive, you become the very thing that you receive. Many of us strive. If you talk about holiness, what do you picture in your mind? You picture a standard. You picture a set of rules or a, or, or a functional way of trying to get to a place where you're holy. But what if you received his holiness, you become what? Holy. What if you received his mercy, you become merciful? So everything we long to become and that God is calling us to, it all comes from one thing, receiving. And we are to receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. And it says that we cannot freely give until what? We have received. And so I just want to encourage you to learn how to receive from God. And each and every morning, one of the practices that I do that is, I think, greatly shaped the way of keeping me standing in grace is Father, I just received today, we sang that song, I'm highly favored and I'm anointed. I just receive your favor today, which is your bias, that I have an advantage today because God is for me and he's guiding my steps. Father, I just receive your favor today. And I remember the beginnings of doing that, where my mind would always be like, what did you do to hit for his favor today? What are you going to do to earn his favor today? What are you going to do to make sure you're deserving of that favor. And now I literally can wake up, receive his favor, and those thoughts no longer have a place in my mind. And you're going the same place just as well. It's about receiving from God so that you can live freely for him. Sorry, my nose itches. Palm Sunday today. We're going to do a one-time message today because we're just seven days away from one of the greatest events in history. Amen? The resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ. But on Palm Sunday they prayed this, uh, this prayer in Psalms chapter 118 verse 24 and 26. I don't think it's going to be on the screen, uh, Johnny. So it says these words, Psalms 118, 24. I want you to listen to this. It says, this is the day that the Lord has. And we will rejoice and be glad. And now think about this. This is, the, this is what they declared every time they came through Passover. Is they declared this, this psalm. And it says, save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Listen to those words. They wanted a, a Savior, but we're going to learn in just a minute. It wasn't a Savior from their sin. It was a Savior for what? From the kingdom of Rome. And they wanted a prosperity. And how many times do we want something from God and he has something else in mind for us? It says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord who has blessed you from the house of the Lord. And so today we remember and we celebrate what is known as Palm Sunday. 
So we're five days away from Jesus being crucified. We're five days away from the celebration of what they call the Passover. And we're seven days, just one week away from the most significant event in all of our lives, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want you just to picture with me for a moment what this day looked like. What Jesus was about to do and what he encountered when he was riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. The crowds were gathered together. This was a day where they were awaiting for history upon history upon history. This is the, finally the day where our deliverer is going to be with us. And so there's a great multitude. At this time, they estimate at the time of Passover, it's estimated around two to, two to three million people are gathered together. Can you imagine what that looks like? It's like an atmosphere, like at a carnival. There was a celebration, there was a party, there was this jubilation that was there's expectation for so many people. Can you ma- imagine the excitement that this is the week, this is the day, this is the king that is coming to set us free? And they were expecting that they would no longer be under the Roman Empire. I want, to, I want you to see the parallel because in our lives we have all these expectations of God setting us free from circumstances, setting us free from suffering, setting us free from things that are hard in our life. And they had the same expectation, man, this is about to be it. We are going to finally be delivered. But as is always the case with God, there is a greater purpose on that day. It was an opportunity that God was giving to each and every person to first recognize and then to celebrate the true purpose that Christ came. And it was not to build his own kingdom here on this earth. That's what they were hoping for. Finally, we will have our own king. We will be our own kingdom and we will overthrow Rome. But he was coming to place a kingdom within every single one of our hearts. Amen. And it was a kingdom that would transform us into his redeemed sons and daughters who no longer would live their lives for themselves. 2 Corinthians 5.15 That we would no longer live for, for ourselves, but we would now live for eternity and the rewards that await each of us. Do you realize this earth or this time on this earth is called a vapor? Meaning that it's very short in comparison to the time that we will spend in eternity. And it's what you do while you're on this earth that you will be rewarded when you spend eternity with God. Now think about that. This 70, 80, some 90 years will determine the rewards that we are going to stand before our maker and he's going to say, I gave you five, here's five more. I gave you one, here's one more. I gave you ten, And this is what you did. You multiplied it. Here's 10 more cities for you. There's going to be a rewards based upon us. Now think about this. Performance has nothing to do with salvation. I'm not talking about that whatsoever. You are saved because of the blood. You are saved because of Jesus, which we'll talk about in just a moment. But how you live this life will be rewarded. It says in 1 Corinthians 3 that he'll throw all of our works into the fire and whatever comes out as being faithful in serving God, he will reward us greatly for those things. So it's important to note, as you may or may not know, that the beginning of Jesus' ministry, 
He did everything he could to avoid publicity and recognition. He didn't want people to tell about him. He didn't want this thing to grow. He didn't want this thing to get misconstrued. And he tried to avoid that. But now he was coming to a place where he knew he, knew he was going to be celebrated, but he was doing it because it was his father's will. He was always in line with what his father wanted. So he proceeded out of duty, knowing that he was going to be celebrated, although that was not what he was seeking. And he simply came to be in line with what his father wanted, to fulfill what God had for his life. And so Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem at this time, millions of people about to celebrate someone that they thought was going to be their king, was sheer obedience to the Father. But he truly also knew at the core of his heart that although they're celebrating me in just a few moments, they're all going to turn on me. Now that has to be something we can all admire about Jesus because he was our model for all of us is realizing that obedience is not always awesome. Obedience doesn't always lead you to a place where Hey, man, we did it. We, we, we made it out. No, there is, you read Hebrews 11 and you'll see people of faith who never saw the promise that was given to them. But they obeyed God. There are cloud of witnesses now. Martyrs are cloud of witnesses who are cheering us on to go and to obey God regardless of the cost. And so Jesus was obeying God. He was going knowing that these were the final days of his life. In his heart, he has prepped his disciples. He let them know, my time is coming to an end. And yet he still went. And so I want you to realize this first slide is that obedience is always worth it. And how many times do we talk ourselves out of it because we're not sure if it's worth it? But when you settle in your heart... That obedience is always worth it, no matter if it's not what you wanted, or if it's a little bit hard, or if it's challenges to come, or it doesn't seem like it's going to play out better than when you disobeyed. Always realize, it's always worth it to obey God. Always. Would you look, at, look with me at John chapter 12? We're going to start in verse number 1, and then we're going to skip ahead to verse number 12. I just want to give you the context in verse 1. The reason why I don't spend time reading all the entire passages just for the sake of time, but when you have a chance during this week because we're celebrating uh, what, what, what Jesus is about to do, I encourage you to read John chapter 12. It'll give you a good insight into what this week was going to look like for him. In verse number one, it says, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, who, who, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. So he's, a, he's about to have lunch with Lazarus. Now this guy is the talk of the town. People are mad at Jesus because so many Jews are now believing that Jesus must be the Messiah because of this amazing miracle that took place. And so they're trying to find both of these guys. They want Lazarus dead officially and they want Jesus dead just as well. And then it says in verse number 12, it says the next day, now right before this was where the um, uh, Mary poured the alabaster jar over his feet. So this was preparation for what was going to take place. This was the indication that Jesus knows my time is done. My, this is the last final days of my time on earth. In verse number 12, it says, The next day, a great multitude, about two million people, that had come to the feast, 
when they heard Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees, they went out to meet him, and they cried out these words, Hosanna, blessed is he, which we just read, Psalms 118, verse 27, or verse 26, blessed is he who comes, and they name of the Lord, the King of Israel. So they were setting the stage, extremely excited. And how many of us have been excited that God's going to do this for me, and God's going to be this for me, and God's going to come through for me on this? And so you can see their excitement because they know the time is so close. Palm branches, just to give you a little bit of a history on this, it was the royal carpet at the time that they made them to celebrate those who were coming from back from a time of victory and triumph in battle. So when a king would come back, they would lay palm branches down to celebrate and to let them know he was victorious and he triumphed over the enemy. So this is what they were setting the stage for. They were saying, man, our king is now victorious. This is who our king is. Nobody can stop him. We are going to form an amazing nation together. In common context, they were waved triumphantly as the king rode through the streets. So Palm Sunday was a day of welcoming Jesus as a great conqueror and an almighty deliverer. Can you imagine their disappointment when he died? Can you imagine what happened when he no longer was alive? But they thought he was a deliverer from the Roman Empire when in fact he was a deliverer from their sin. And they wanted to him deliver them from their, their bondage. That word Hosanna, it just simply means to deliver or to save us now. It used as a cry of acclamation and adoration. They wanted to be free from the ruling hand of Rome, from their difficult circumstances, so that they could be the number one most powerful people on the earth once again. They were, remember everybody, two words that hinge complete Christianity is what? Deny self. Because oneself is allowed to not be denied. When you do not take up your cross, self always comes to a place where this is all about me. God's all about me. My spouse is all about me. My family's all about me. My job is all about me. This life is all about me. And they were ready to make this all about them finally. This is our turn to rule. In John 12, verse 14 and 15, it says these words, Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, or another term would be a young colt, he sat on it as it was written. So he was fulfilling prophecy here. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Zechariah 9.9 is where this comes from, and it says these words, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. He is lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, a foil of the donkey. I thought this was remarkable, and I want to just sit here for a little bit on this understanding. Is that a colt or a donkey... It symbolized all who Christ was and what he was coming for. In times gone by, that, that, that cult was a noble animal. In ancient days, a king 
would ride that beast of service, they called it, to carry the burdens of men. But more significantly, it, it symbolized that when a king came on a colt, it symbolized peace. This is, I hope you make the connection in your heart because when you learn this, and this comes alive on you, it changes everything about your relationship with God. And so when they entered a city in peace, they rode on a colt to symbolize peaceful intentions. This differed dramatically from a conquering king that when the king entered a city after they conquered, they would ride on a what? A stallion. So Jesus did not ride into Jerusalem on a stallion. He rode on a donkey, a colt, to symbolize two important things. The first one is peace. Now just think about this, how God prearranged all of this, that Jesus would be on a colt, a symbolic thing at that time of peace. I'm sure many didn't catch it. Many were so enamored by this is our king that they missed something so simple that Jesus said, I've come to bring peace. Jesus came to restore peace between you and the Father. Remember in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to who? The Father, but through me. It didn't say nobody comes to heaven. Yes, Jesus is the way to heaven, but many times we get so fixated on getting to a place that we forget that he brought us to a person. And that person is the Father God who now says there is complete peace between you and I. Now, I want you to catch something because this significantly could impact your life. That word peace, as we all know, doesn't just mean, oh good, we're all good. Which it does, it's so much greater. That peace is the word shalom. It means nothing missing and nothing is broken and there are no obstacles, there are no hindrances between you and who? The Father. All right, let me say it again. That word peace means that there is nothing missing and nothing broken and nothing lacking and nothing hindering you from having a full and perfect relationship with God. And everybody's like, well, what about myself? I'm the biggest hindrance to my relationship with God. And that's why he killed you. Amen? He made your old man dead, and now he's made you a brand new man, which we're going to talk about in a moment. This means every single morning when I wake up, there is perfect peace between me and God. When I sin, there is perfect peace between me and God. It doesn't mean you can play with sin because sin will cause you to turn your back on God feeling like you're not worthy, you're not qualified, he must be so disappointed. But God did away with sin. He dealt with sin on the cross so he doesn't see it the same way. And, but when we partake of it, what happens is we get into utter condemnation, shame, and guilt. And we start to realize, oh man, this sin that I just committed was greater than the blood of Jesus Christ. And therefore, there's no longer peace between me and God. Now I must do something. I must listen to Christian music. I must read the Bible more. I must pray more to make sure that me and God are good again. Now, if your heart towards sin is like, man, I love sin, but I want God then you're missing the gospel completely because the gospel transforms us from within. So you know what? I don't even think about sinning. 
And sometimes you are so sin conscious, us as Christians, that we think we're just sin waiting to happen. And if you expect yourself to sin, guess what's going to happen? You're going to struggle and struggle and struggle with sin. But when you realize, man, God has cleansed me. He has made me new. Sin no longer is my master. I've now given over my members of my body to the slave of righteousness or the master of righteousness. Hey, I no longer even have to think about, oh, I hope I don't sin today. And some of us are so sin conscious that we believe that it's just a moment away from when I'm going to make another mistake and I'm going to make another mistake and I will always make all these mistakes. So God is no longer our judge. He is now our father. That is a huge difference. When you enter a courtroom and stand before a judge, it's not like, hey, bro, you doing good? Man, we're good, right? We're good. No, no, it's based upon whatever we determine in this courtroom. But when you stand before a father who absolutely loves you, who delights in you, who calls you his beloved, it changes the nature of the relationship. When we see God as a judge, yes, you're always going to be like, man, I hope I perform well today. When you realize he's your father and no longer your judge, it changes everything. You can now enjoy all that is good because of your right relationship with God. This piece is the absence of inward conflict, which I know so many of us struggle in this room with. This inward conflict, this condemnation that just lurks because you didn't, we and Jim just talked about it yesterday, because you didn't wake up early enough, because you didn't do this, because you didn't do this. So we live constantly condemned, like, man, God, I'm so sorry, I suck at being a Christian. Wait, S-U-C-K, that's what we're, we don't say the words out loud, right? And there's so much shame that we live with because of what we used to do and what happened in our past. And so the enemy is always like, oh, I got this girl. Oh, I got this guy. All I have to do is just bring up a little memory of their past and they'll go right back into shame about who they used to be. And all he does is trip you up. You know, it's like what I do with my nephews. They're walking and you kick this leg and, and that's what we're constantly doing. It's like, I love you, Lord. You know, this, and, and he's just tripping us throughout the whole day and we're just like man I just I'm not good at loving you God and so we're now what we get our mind back on who self and when you are self-conscious you become sin conscious and when you're sin conscious there is no freedom between you and the father when you realize he did away with sin and you are to deny self take up your cross and you can stand before him as this new redeemed son or daughter of God wow what do you have to be concerned about because you're no longer thinking about you. You're thinking about how amazing he is and what he did. All right, look at some of these passages. If I can get through them, I'll do my best, okay? Romans 5.1. Our faith in Jesus. This is the uh, Passion translation. I just want you to know the Passion Bible is a translation. It's not a paraphrase. So it is a legit translation, just not um, probably to the level that ESV, New King James, all those different things. Um, our faith in Jesus transfers what transfers our faith in what Jesus did now makes the transfer so when I believe what Jesus did for me on that cross at that moment all of God's righteousness is transferred to my account does that excite anybody all right Wendy can I get a witness all right so it transfers God's righteousness to us and he now declares us flawless in his eyes. So when you feel flawed, okay, and you feel 
like you don't measure up. And when you feel like he must be disappointed, you have now moved out of the realm of faith, of responding to God's goodness, and you moved into, I just can't do this. I just am not good. I'm just this. And so if you, if you, if you buy the lie that the enemy would sow into your mind, you know what? Look at you. How are you going to say you have the righteousness of God? Look at you. And when we go, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, you're right. And we get into self-consciousness about, yeah, you know what? I don't deserve that. Oh, my gosh, I am. Oh, oh. And it just spirals down to where we go, God, I just don't deserve what you said that I am. That we cannot believe this because we're so self-conscious. You know, we know our flaws. And I just want you to know the kingdom of God is about believing. <laughs> to believe that this is true. That God, listen to this, God gives you permission to believe this. If he wrote it in the Bible... He gives you permission to receive it freely. He's not like, who do you think you are thinking you're flawless in my eyes? Well, God, this is what you said. You declared me flawless. You're right. Okay. Then you're flawless in my eyes. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's not like, how dare you believe what I said about you? No, he knows the only way you become what he said is by believing what he said. Remember, we become because we receive something. And so God gives us permission to believe this. Not just about somebody that we think is super spiritual. This means we can now enjoy. I love that word now. I love that word when it comes to God because before it used to be like, I'll work for you, God. I'll work my tail off for you. I will serve for you. I will just, man, I will be the best for you and I will perform for you. And so it took out all this enjoyment. You know how those kids sometimes are raised by a dad who goes, no, you're going to be this and you're going to do this and 6 a.m. this and 6 a.m. this. And eventually they lose a love for what? The very thing they used to love. And I, I worked hard for God. I was serving God. I wanted to make him proud of how early I woke up. But I realized, man, I was missing something. True enjoyment and lasting peace with God all, all because of one thing. What Jesus did for me. Amen? So my faith is God going, I receive all your righteousness. Meaning that I have all the righteousness of God that was given to me. I know that's hard to fathom, guys, but I have permission to say that because Jesus did it on my behalf. He has done it for us. All right, you ready for the next one? All right, it gets way better. Yet... Yet look at you now, okay? Look at you now. I want you to look at yourself one time in the mirror this week. Take this passage. Maybe take a picture or I'm sure Wendy will take a picture, post on Facebook and you can look at it then. But it says, look at you now. Everything is what? Okay, here's one thing that we do not believe is new. Our past. Everything means what? So your past has been wiped clean and made completely new. So although you have a remembrance of who you were, what you did, how you acted, how you should have been, what you did to that person, God says, everything is new. Wait, what about my past? New. Does that make sense up here? Not at all, right? 
Although you were once distant and far away from God, you have, I love this, you have been brought delightfully close to Him through what? The blood of Jesus. And how many times have I had a conversation with somebody and said, you know what, how are you and God? And they would answer, not good. I just really need to get what? Closer to God. So they're striving to get closer to God when He already brought us delightfully close. Can you imagine striving for something that you already have? Can you imagine the frustration of going, God, I just want to be close to you. Can you imagine him going, oh my gosh, okay. You are already close to me. I did it. You didn't have to come near to me. I came near to you by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are perfectly one. Amen. That changes, because if I asked you this question, how, now, you're going to totally see how you are believing maybe not in the right. If I ask you this question, how do you get close with God? How many of your minds right now are coming up with a list? <laughs> right? If somebody said, somebody came up to you and goes, Hi, um, can you teach me how to get close to God? All of you, most of you, would go, well, I think you should start by reading your Bible more. Right? Start praying more. But what if we just assured them? Oh, don't even try to get close to God. Just respond to how close you already are. So when you read your Bible, it's not about getting closer to God. It's about discovering the one that you're already perfectly one with. And when you worship God, it's not about getting close to God. It's about just responding to his greatness. Oh, great are you, Lord, and I'm just worshiping you, not because I'm trying to get closer, but because I'm already delightfully close to him. It changes the way that you live with him. Now you can enjoy him rather than like, I'm almost there, God. I'm almost there. I just made a couple back steps and a couple detours, but I'm almost close. And he goes, oh, how are you doing that? Oh, I'm, I'm just working really hard. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm, I've been serving you every Sunday. I've been praying, and I'm almost there. I woke up at 6 a.m. this morning, and man, we had a great time, didn't we? And then I don't know what happened in the afternoon. I forgot about you. And so, <laughs> right, we're not close, but I, I'll be back tonight, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work hard again. And we do it all the time. Isn't it crazy? I'm sure those are laughters of recognition. But it says we are delightfully close because of the blood of Jesus. You have actually been united to Christ. When you unite to Christ, you are united. There's no pulling you apart. There's no separating you. That's what Romans is all about. Nothing can separate you. It didn't mean nothing can separate you from God loving you. No, nothing can separate you from your Father. No one's going to take you out of his hand. Our reconciling peace is who? Jesus, it's not circumstances. It's not a better life. It's not more this or more this. Our peace is who? It's a person. It's Jesus. It's not a church. It's not a message. It's Jesus. It's introducing you to Jesus. He has made both the Jew and the non-Jew. We are one in Christ. By dying as our sacrifice, he has broken down every wall of prejudice that separated us and has now made us equal, both Jew and non-Jew. We are equal through what? Union with Christ. All right, you ready for more? Colossians 1.20, look at this. Now remember, we're just talking about the cult signified peace. I'm just laying this, that there is absolutely nothing missing, nothing broken between you and God. But how many times do I feel like that when I wake up? <laughs> like, man, so what happened in my dreams? I felt like I just got so far away from you, God. But I have to receive by faith. Faith is what? The thing that transfers. And so it says, by him, 
that he would reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood on, of the cross. The blood is what now secured the peace, the shalom. Nothing missing, nothing broken between me and the Father. But the second thing that the cult represented, not only did it represent peace, but it also represented service. That Jesus came to serve us by carrying the burden of mankind, which is sin. So he served us by he put sin, our sin, on his back. That cross, when he was walking through the, what was that road? Yeah, but what was it called? Oh, well, sure, okay. With the cross on his back, wasn't there another word for it? Yeah, there you go. So he had the cross on his back. That was the symbolic understanding that he was being our servant. He was carrying our sin, and that sin was taking him to a place where he was going to be put on the cross, and now all, everybody say all, all the wrath of God was now distributed, just placed upon Jesus because all of the sin of mankind was on Jesus. And so it says in Isaiah 53, 10, that it pleased Yahweh to crush his son on that cross so you and I could walk in the righteousness that was afforded to us. So all of the wrath, all of the justice, all of the anger, all of this disappointment was now on Jesus on that cross. And so he absorbed all of the wrath. He drank the cup of the wrath of God and it was now empty. There is no longer any wrath necessary or, or, or afforded to anybody who calls or puts their trust in the blood. That was his service to us. Matthew 20 verse 28 says these words. It says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? This was not about serving tables. This was not about washing the disciples' feet. This was about what he was going to do in serving mankind. He was to give his life as a ransom for many. That was how he served us. He said, Justin, I'm going to take your place. I'm going to take your sin. I'm going to take your shame. I'm going to take your condemnation and your guilt. I want it on mine. I'm going to go to that cross. I'm going to satisfy the justice of God so that you can now have peace with God and now you could live the way that I lived with the Father. How great is that? I mean, that is good news, amen? That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so sin, because of Adam, it penetrated our bloodstream. It corrupted our way of thinking. It darkened our understanding, our desires, our passions, our life. Everything is bent in the wrong direction. It darkened our hearts and it blackened our record before God. I want you to realize that when sin came into your life, it caused your heart to not have affections toward God. It says foolishness is bound up where? In the heart of a child. They don't come prepackaged Christians, amen? And it says that our record was uh, blackened. Our record before God was flawed. We now committed sin. We now walked away. And that's why it says everybody has what sinned and fallen short of God's glory for their life. So when he came and he died for us, he took care of both of those things. His life was a ransom for us, amen? And he is our Passover lamb. So when he was about to have uh, Passover with his disciples, he knew, man, there's a greater Passover than this meal. This meal is remembering that we delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, but who I am is going to deliver you from all your sin. Powerful, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 5, 7, look at these words. Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump. Who's a new lump? 
I don't care if we're lumpy, amen? I'm just glad that we're new, amen? <laughs> Since you are truly unleavened or clean, for indeed Christ, who is our what? He's our Passover. Jesus was the living fulfillment of every legal requirement that God's righteous standard had. So God had a standard. The Ten Commandments, they had 613 more laws. He had a standard on how you were to live. That law, those commandments only had one purpose, to point you toward Christ knowing that you needed a Savior. That law could never cleanse you. When you guys see a speed limit sign, does it make you just want to obey that amount? No. <laughs> Laws don't change your heart. They just expose your heart, right? Like 45, why 45? Let's go 55. And it's 55, it's never enough. You know what I'm saying? And so law, the law was never given to make man right with God. It was to reveal to them Think about this because the, the chapter before in, uh, in, in, in Exodus where God gave the commandments, the chapter before, the people got a little bit bold and they said, whatever it is you command us to do, we will do it with all of our heart. He's like, oh man, you missed it. Like you totally missed what I want. I want a relationship with you and you're telling Moses to go to the mountain for you and now you tell him, hey Moses, tell him we'll do whatever he asks us to do. He's like, you guys are going to break the first one. Like, you guys are going to break them all within days, and that's why we're going to need a priest, and we're going to need sacrifices, and so forth. So Jesus was the living fulfillment of every requirement that God had for us. He was the Passover of the Lamb, the Lamb that God had chosen so that we could be completely free from the wrath and enjoy now a new and a perfect relationship with God. Because if I asked you in this room, is your relationship with God with perfect, we would have a resounding no way. Unless you receive the gospel. Unless you receive the good news that Jesus restored to perfection your relationship with God, and now you get to respond to what Jesus did for you. So Jesus, the Lamb of God, he sacrificed himself to set us free. And when the sun sets somebody free, they are free indeed. And so that Hebrew word for Passover... It's amazing. It means to pass over. <laughs> so the Israelites in Egypt, they had their doorpost and the angel of the Lord said, we're coming tonight. We're going to wipe out everybody clean. And unless you put blood upon the doorpost, the angel will see it and they will pass over. So even back then it was a sig signifying that when the blood is on the house, can you imagine this? It didn't matter who was in the house. Now that's... That's mind-blowing. It wasn't like, whoa, 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 how did you get in the house? No, if you're in the house and the blood is covered over the doorpost, that angel passed over that house and you were free from the wrath. I am covered by what? The blood of Jesus Christ, amen? Isn't it interesting that you had to apply the blood of the doorpost? The angel did not. So you had to take a hyssop and you had to wipe it, wipe it, and wipe it. And therefore, that place was now secure by the blood. And many of us don't apply the blood. What I mean by that is many of us don't wake up and go, you know what, Father, I just received your blood today that has cleansed me from all sin. Today, I don't have to sin against you. I get to live for you today. And I thank you that you empower me to live a righteous life, that you have given me your peace. And I just enjoy that there's nothing missing, nothing broken between you and me today. And so I just receive it and I walk in it. And that's applying the blood. Because now my confidence with God is based upon one thing. The doorposts of my life are covered by a perfect blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? 
So only those households with the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorpost were spared. Look at 1 Peter 1, 18 and 20. It says, For you know that your lives were ransomed. Sometimes we forget it, don't we? It's important that we know that our lives were ransomed once and for all from the empty and futile way of life handed down from generation to generation. I want to stop right there because I think this is an important point to make again that I've made the last number of weeks. I'm not a big believer in generational curses. I believe that what is passed down is we live for self. And so that person hurt me, so I'm hurt and bitter. Now I'm going to pass it down to my kids. We're going to now live with, a hey, Uncle Johnny hurt us real bad, you know, and, and we, we, we will not take that. And we no longer like Uncle Johnny because he hurt us so bad. And so what happens is we take on that hurt, we pass down that hurt, we pass down on that self, and we say, stand up for your rights. And we say, stand up for you. You have to earn something. You have to make it in this life. You have to work hard. We, so what we do is we pass down self all the way through down, and it has so many different outlets and so many different masks but if we have one generation that will go you know what I'm denying self and I'm not going to pass down to my daughter summer that oh you know what life is going to be hard for you You know what no you're going to be a testimony of the living God no matter how hard it gets summer keep on believing in the goodness of God because we're not victims in this we are those who are overcomers and summer you are going to receive God's goodness and he has a call and anointing on your life and you go and do what you need to do regardless of what you think is going to hinder you or stop you because when we're at a disadvantage or we have this issue or we have you know Karen I know you have a limp and some other people have issues with their bodies it's like God, I can't do what you want me to do unless you fix this. And what happens is we get so caught up in the moment and the circumstances that it keeps us in limbo from doing what God's called us to do because we're waiting for God to set us free from something. And I just want to encourage you, deny self. Self is going to be like, why me? When me? When will you do this for me, God? The other one goes, oh man, I had a great conversation with Georgie last weekend. And he got saved. Were you saved in, is it Romania? I'm sorry. Bulgaria, yes, sir. And he was telling me about the purity of his faith at the beginning of his journey and how they were persecuted. And it was never like, God, come on, stop having us persecuted. He felt worthy to be persecuted for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That life was not about this little thing that needs to make me happy or why is this not right or why is this not right? It was about, man, we need to see more people saved and more people understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there was this purity of his faith because it had nothing to do with him and everything to do with who God is raising up to be. So we can be a generation that says, you know what, we're not going to keep on passing down self this all the way down to our next generation it was not a ransom payment of silver and gold which eventually perishes but the ransom payment was with what the precious blood of Jesus Christ who like a like a spotless unblemished lamb he was sacrificed for you and I you know John three sixteen says for God so hated the world that he sent his son right God so was frustrated with the world that he sent his son God was so uh, upset and angry and disappointed with the world that he sent his son. That wasn't the state of God. God so loved the world that he found a way to redeem us back to who we are, sons and daughters. And so listen to this. If God can accept the blood as a payment for our sins and the price for our redemption, if God said that is satisfactory, then I can too. Like I have permission to say that blood, you accept it, I accept it too. I don't know how I feel, still feel like I'm a, a broken down old, old, old man, but you know what? I'm redeemed. 
Because you say you put faith in the blood, I'm going to put the same faith in the blood. So if God is satisfied with the lamb of Jesus and the blood that that lamb shed, man, then it must be acceptable to me as well. So when I walk around and I can't forgive myself or I can't forgive somebody else or I live in guilt, shame, and condemnation, you know what I'm doing? I'm saying this is actually more real than the blood. And I place more faith in my condemnation and my own poor performance than I place upon what Jesus did, his perfect obedience to the Father. But when I put faith in the blood, I say condemnation. I had a thought the other day of the enemy telling me, Justin, you're just no good. Justin, you just you can't do this or Justin this. And I just had the picture of me going, hold on, come here. Come on. Father, he just told me that I'm no good. What do you say about it? And I'm going to wait till I hear what my father says. And I'm going to go, okay, I believe you. And sometimes we just have conversations with the enemy without God being part of the equation. And he is a master manipulator. He knows how to get you to your lowest point. He knows how when you look in the mirror, you see your greatest flaws and that you're never going to amount to what God has called you to do, that there's really not an anointing on your life. And if there was, it's very small now and it's not going to have much of an impact and that you can't pray for people because of this or because of this and you can't go out and do what God's called you to do. And he has these conversations and we're entertaining him and we listen and we listen and we listen and we stop believing what God has said about us. In Revelations 5.12, it says, worthy is what? Worthy is the lamb. So what does this mean for us who embrace Jesus as the lamb? I want you to get this statement inside your hearts. You can put the next slide up there. I just want you to get this statement in your heart. When you receive the lamb and what Jesus did for you, forgiveness has been granted. And a new life has been given. This is, this is important stuff for all of us because forgiveness has been granted you. Means this, you don't owe God anything. He paid a debt that you could never pay. And he fulfilled a law that you could never fulfill. He is not asking for anything. He is saying, you're forgiven. Just receive it. And watch it transform your life so you never deal again with sin, guilt, and condemnation. You are forgiven. Amen? All right, look at this passage before the worship team stops me, okay? Uh, 1 John 2, 1 and 2, it says, You are my dear children, and I write these things to you so that you would. Do you know there's a place in your life where you don't have to go, I'm, I'm just going to sin today, I know, I'm just... Sin's just waiting. It's lurking at my door. No, there's a mindset that he wants us to have that he is writing these things. In 1 John 1 that we just or could have read, it says, so that you won't sin. But if anyone does sin, not when you sin, if you. That's a big difference. That there is not an expectation on John's part for everybody to go, I know you're going to sin today. No, it's not when you sin, it's, if you so happen to get lured into this thing called sin, we continually have a forgiving Redeemer who is face to face with the Father. Amen? So I don't want you to have the picture of the, you sin and Jesus is like, hey, I know you want to knock their head out, but no, you can't. Like, he's not protecting us from some big bad father. 
No, Jesus is continually reminding the Father and the Father reminding him of how this work was so satisfactory that although they sinned, I'm continually a forgiving redeemer. My goodness. And it says this, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he is the atoning sacrifice for our what? Our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the whole world. That's why we're called ambassadors to, or to go and preach the message, it's called, of reconciliation. To let people know their sins have been forgiven them. All they need to do is receive. <laughs> Look at verse 12. Okay, I did not write this. But it's really, really good. I remind you, dear children, your sins have been what? And I don't know what permanently means. Does anybody know what that means? Permanently, right? Have been permanently removed because of the power of his name. And yet we want to bring those to God continually. In Hebrews 8, it's not on the screen, Johnny. It says that I will remember your lawless deeds. How, how often? No more. <laughs> and what I want to encourage you guys is when you wake up in the morning, just remind yourself of these things. Father, I just thank you today that my sin has been permanently erased and deleted from my life. And I just receive your forgiveness today. Now look at this next set of passages. We're almost done, Nikki. This realm of death describes our former state, for we were held in whose grasp? Sin's grasp. But now we have been resurrected out of that death realm, never to return. Amen? We're not going back to darkness. We are in light. It says, for we are forever alive and forgiven of how many? All our sins. He canceled out every legal violation we had on our record. If there's any violation, if there's any, um, they call them in real estate, liens against you that you owe somebody in order to take a step forward, he said he canceled out all of them that were on our record. And the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us, he erased it all. Our sins and our stained soul he deleted it all, and they cannot ever be retrieved. Can you imagine when we start believing this, you live differently. You live with a confidence, not in self. There's no pride when it comes to believing the gospel because you didn't do any of it. He, you were once alienated, and then the next second you were in Christ, and you did nothing to make that happen except to receive the gospel. And it says this, everything we once were in Adam, our old man, has been placed on his cross, nailed permanently there as a public display to everyone of cancellation. This man is redeemed. This daughter is redeemed. They are forgiven. And the accuser of the brethren is going to come and go, 
you don't want to you don't want to believe that. Don't believe that. And and he's going to try to convince us and persuade us and get us self-conscious and get us sin-conscious and get us to a place where we stop believing that they were deleted and now we're going to have conversations about what needs to be fixed in our life and about the sin in our life and about the struggle in our life and about how I just can't do this anymore, God. And so now we're talking to him about something that is not a reality to him. Cuz we missed the heart of the gospel. It says, then Jesus made, you guys can't see it on that screen anymore. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers, verse 15, Johnny, and principalities of darkness, stripping them away from every weapon and all spiritual authority and all power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners. I love this. He led the enemy around. The enemy thought he killed Jesus and he realized, oh man, we just did a huge mistake. And he was not their prisoner. They were his. And I, I heard a pastor say this and I thought it was profound. He said he got a picture that the enemy was like, holy cow, we just killed Jesus Christ, the son of God. We made a huge mistake. And everybody was in a, a flurry of just craziness down in hell. And then he got a picture of the enemy Satan just going, wait, 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 come on back, come on, let's just read, um, come, uh, bring the troops back. Hey, Jesus died, and we messed up on that, but they'll never believe what he did for them. They may believe he died for their sins and they're going to heaven, but if we can convince them to never embrace what that actually means in their own personal life, we can keep them sinning, we can keep them condemned, we can keep them guilty, and we can keep shame over their life, and they'll never fully walk into their sons. And that's why the earth is what? It's groaning for the manifestation of sons and daughters to finally go, I believe. Like, Father, I believe it. Today I believe it. Tomorrow I believe it. When I sin, I believe it. When I'm doing righteous things, I will believe it. I believe that your gospel must be received. It transforms my life so that I can be a son of God wherever I go. I can act like you wherever I go. I can think like you wherever I go because the gospel changes things. I won't go into detail because I know my time is done, but that new life comes with three things. He replaces your bad heart and he gives you a brand new heart. I want you to think about this. He forgives you, and now he gives you new life. That new life comes with three things. He says, now I'm going to give you a new heart that has new desires for me. The second one is this. You can put it on there. He now clears your bad record. You no longer have a record called guilty before God. You now stand before God justified. Like there's no record against you when you stand before God, although we can remember it all, can't we? But he cleared our record, and he says, you are now justified be, be, be between yourself and me. And the last one is he makes a new covenant. When he gives you this new life, he makes a new covenant with me based upon the lamb and not based upon my performance. I love that because when he looks and he measures the lamb, he doesn't measure me. He bases his relationship with me, that new covenant is based upon one thing, the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundations of the world. It was a pure, spotless blood that was shed for you and I. No longer is this covenant based upon my performance. So how will you respond today? For those who have never responded to the gospel in a way that has impacted your life, I encourage you to surrender. To literally just give up and go, God, I want that. I want what he preached. I want you. I want you to transform me. I'm not just going to try to live a Christian life. I want to be a son or daughter of God. And some in this room, you guys can come on. For some in this room who have received Christ before, 
I hope that you believe. Father, thank you for my, my brother back there. I pray in Jesus' name, do what you're going to do in his life. I thank you that he's just receiving right now all of your love and all of your goodness. Father God, may his past and his condemnation and that shame and that guilt be broken off of his life in Jesus' name. He is a new man. I speak that into his life. And I pray that he will have the heart, the readiness, the tenacity just to believe. To believe what you said about him. Not what, not what he is. He's lived his life. But Father, believe what you have said. So I thank you that he surrendered and he has a believing heart. And so I just, I, my hope is that those who lost sight of this and you get your focus back on you and you're not happy and you're not peaceful, there's no joy and you want this and you just don't measure up and you're ready to call quits with God, to believe, to just say, Father, I believe what you did for me and I will believe it tomorrow morning and I'll believe it tomorrow afternoon and I'll believe it tomorrow night and then you and I can have a relationship again. Because he says, today is the day of what? Salvation. He said, seek me while I may be found. Say, Father, I received these things. So would you please stand with me this morning? We're going to sing one more song. We're going to come up after the song. And as we do, if you're at the place where you know what, Father, I just need to surrender like that lamb that was lost. And Jesus went and found that lamb. He put the lamb on the shoulders and he was greatly filled with delight. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you're the one who goes, you know what, I've been a Christian so, so many years and I just do not believe this fully. And today you can just say, Father, I believe you. I believe what you have spoken over my life. So let's go ahead and sing one more song, Tim. And then I'll come right back up.